The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio is speaking. So this past week or so, kind of interesting, two, two separate events with both my boys ending up in the ER. Uh, and the first one was cash, and this was, I guess it was about last weekend or so, maybe, I think it was Monday. Uh, we're up at, at Solomar in the water, uh, surfing and just, just playing around at the beach, and beautiful day, water's warm, and uh, my boys are in the water, I'm kind of doing some waves, and we're kind of going back and forth, and I just hear my son Cash, my, my 10-year-old, just, just start screaming, and he's, and he's walking out of the water, he, he barely gets sort of out of the out of the out of the shore break and up onto the dry sand he just plops down he is screaming and there's blood coming out of his foot and he's like has this you know it's this crazy scene happening and i'm like all right did he just stub his toe or did he get a scratch or something you know is he overreacting what's going on here and, I, and we can't really tell but it's 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 bleeding quite a bit and he's like something bit me something bit me and we're like i don't know if something bit you man like i think maybe you just nicked your foot but sure enough, Amy like kind of wiped some of the blood away. It's like no, something like punctured his foot. He's like, I stepped on something slimy, and then it bit me. It turned around and bit me, you know. And uh, he ended up. What we found was he stepped on a, the wrong stingray, and the stingray retaliated, or at least one of his buddies retaliated and like took a shot at his foot. And, and, it, and it's apparently very, very painful. And he is he is wailing on the beach. Um, which is always a little uncomfortable. Like I feel I feel bad for him, but like shh, quiet down a little bit, you know. We're gonna help you. We're gonna help you, and you know, trying to wipe the blood away. And I guess there's between the barbs and the poison. It, it's in it and far, as far deep as it goes. It's a, it's extremely painful. And so he's screaming. Amy's like, do something, do something. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Cash is he's a bigger guy. Like I can't just pick him up now and like carry him like I used to be able to. And we're like, do we need 911? Do we, you know, we're going to airlift him out of here? Like, how does this go? Because, you know, some of those state beaches, you have to do quite a bit of bouldering just to get in and on and off the beach. There's all these rocks. And Amy's like, you have to carry him up those rocks. I'm like, 100%, I cannot do that. Like, it's just, <laughs> I will, we will eat it. It will be worse for everybody if I try to get him up these rocks. And, you know, so we kind of have, Amy and I both sort of throw him on our shoulders and we, we limp over to the rocks. And that took, a, you know, I feel like 10 minutes. It was like one rock at a time getting up there. And he's screaming and uh, it was funny, not, not too, hardly, only one person actually came over to help, which was interesting. I, I tend to be, be a little more optimistic toward people, but it uh, wasn't a good crowd at Solomar that day, and was no help. <laughs> and so we get up, up to the car, I'm taking them, like, oh, I got to go to ER, urgent care, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I'm just trying to imagine where to go, what's closest, and without spending, you know, two hours sitting in ER with him screaming, then I'm screaming, like, ah, 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 like, it's just getting crazy. So I just find, like, the first thing, urgent care downtown and sort of uh, west, west end of downtown toward, toward Patagonia. And it's urgent care down there. I pull in. I leave him in the truck, and I run. I don't, sometimes I don't even know. Like, can I go here? Does this take my insurance work here? How does, how does this even how does this go down? I go in there. Can you see him? And they say, of course, bring him in, bring him in. And, um, you know, I go in. I have to get a wheelchair for him because he's still, like, he's just not walking. He's, he's screaming. And, and, and I'm talking with a lady, like, trying to exchange insurance and things like that. And there's this just really kind of great big sign next to the intake office that said, hey, we will basically see and treat anybody regardless of insurance or economic standing, which is, which is cool. Like, hey, we'll, we will take care of anybody. That's, that's our, our deal. So we get him in. We see the doctor. The doctor was great. Uh, Dr. Reed, I don't know if any of you know him. Our first experience, just fantastic doctor. Calmed him right down, gave his foot a bath, took care of the pain, um, x-rays, and he's sort of, you know, antibiotics, and he's sort of on, on the mend. And we asked the doctor, we're in there like, Oh, so he takes it away, or, or it's poison? Like, sh- should we have, you know, should we pee on it? And we were kind of laughing. He's like, he's like, sure, I pee on everything. We're like, oh, okay. Like, thank you, doctor. <laughs> Too much information, but 
but he fixed him up. But, but it was, and, and he's sort of on the mend now, and, and, he, and he got through that, that experience. But what I was noticing there, and I, and I really hadn't thought about this before until I needed it, was that sort of, just our range, man, and we have a lot of pro- challenges with our, with our medical system, but the fact that you could go into this place, and their arrangement, we will help you no matter what. Like, we will sort out the other stuff later, but we're going to treat you whether you have money or no, no money or insurance or, no, or no, you know, no insurance. And that's sort of their, their arrangement to the people, and it's sort of their, their agreement. Now, after that, you have some things to figure out, but they don't take back the treatment at that point. They do this thing first. And I've been thinking about the, this story of Abraham. We've been deep in this story of Abraham, and I know some of you have not been here, and, that, and that's okay, but we've been kind of deep into his story in Genesis, and it starts with this, this, this covenant, this arrangement, this, this agreement from God, when God calls him out in, in Genesis 12, 1 and 3, and it, and it goes like this, the Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, so he makes this this, this agreement, this covenant with Abraham, God makes this covenant with Abraham, which is huge in the, in the story of the Bible, these covenants that come along the way. The Abrahamic covenant, covenant sort of sets so much of the rest of the Bible in motion. It's about land, it's about descendants, it's about, it's about blessing, it's ultimately about redemption. And this, this type of covenant, and we talk about covenants, whether in the, in the sort of old world or even in our time or the Bible, Bible sort of story, there's conditional covenants and there's unconditional covenants. And a conditional covenant, because a covenant's between two parties, in the Bible it's between God and his people usually, and there's kind of an arrangement, I will do this if you do that. If you don't do that, I will not do that. So it's, so it's conditional, right? We have those kind of agreements in life today. A lot of times our, you know, our, 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 our loans and finances, things like that, right? Alex got a new car. Like his agreement is, I will pay my payments on this car, and then he gets the car. If he stops paying it, they come and take the car back. Like, you don't just get to keep the car. There's a, there's, an, there's, a, there's a condition on that agreement. Then there's unconditional covenants. It really doesn't matter what the other party does, because, the God, say, the God party, he's going to do it no matter what. And that's sort of what we're walking into with, with Abraham. There's a glimpse of this unconditional covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set something in motion that's going to change the course of history, that's going to bless you, that's going to provide you land, that's going to provide you descendants, that eventually through this line, my son will come into. And there's sort of nothing after it. He doesn't say, well, not if you do this. So it's this, this unconditional, unconditional covenant that God sort of makes with Abraham. Now, we'll come to find out down the line there's, there's faith that, that, that needs to take place. There's, there's obedience. There's, at some point, there's circumcision kind of enters into this thing. But the initial agreement from God is that I am going to do this. And you, you can't even mess it up if you tried. And that's sort of the sovereignty of God. And this is actually a pretty large, this could be a large theological argument even around this idea that can we, could Abraham have disrupted the covenant or could he not? Are we self-determining or are we free will? How does that work? And I think it's probably a little bit of both because God lets this thing go. He said, I'm going to do this, Abraham. We know Abraham was not perfect. If you've been with, with us, he's made tons of mistakes, but God's still pushing through. He's like, I am not going to let you mess this up. This covenant is not going to be broken because of you. I am going to accomplish this, this work, right? This, 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 this arrangement, this agreement that God has for his people. And there's actually great comfort in that. We see Abraham start to walk into that where it was a little bumpy to get going. He seems to start finding his foot and like God is doing something here and he's, and he's faithful. And we have to think about that in the terms of our own lives. What's God working on in us? What arrangements has he made with you and us to sort of set in motion? How attentive are we, are we to that? 
Are we kind of getting in the way of it? Is God nudging us in a certain direction? Are we, are, are we keeping up our end of the bargain? Is it just something God said, I'm just going to do this, and you feel like God's pushing me in this direction? We're at a wedding last night, and I, and, um, I, have a fair, I get to do a fair amount of weddings every year, a handful of weddings, and uh, a wedding is a covenant. It's an agreement. It's an, it's an arrangement between two people, and when those people come together, right, we, we do this ceremony. There's vows. There's some things, there's some things read. There's, there's promises made. Things are spoken. There's this covenant agreement made, and really, at the heart of a, for the most part, of marriage, it's, it, it, there's not conditions. So when you say, I will love you, uh, richer and poor, sickness and health, good times and bad. It's like, I'm going to love you no matter what. It's like, I'll love you if you love me back. Right? That, now, we kind of build in those conditions if we're honest in our relationships. But really, when you, when you go into that marriage arrangement, it's like, I'm in. Like, I'm going to love you through whatever comes at us. And it's just sort of this one side. Even if you mess up on some stuff, I'm going to push through that. And we see this, this, this story here in the Bible of God starting to kind of grab a hold of this. I'm, he's like, I'm going to do something. I'm setting something in motion that you can't even mess up. Now, you may get off track a little bit. You may have some consequences, right? After the ER, the urgent care, I, I, you still have to somehow figure out how to kind of pay for those things. But, but the arrangement from the urgent care is like, this is our deal. We're doing it. It's done. So he sets this, he sets this story in motion. And we're going to pick this up in um, Genesis 14. And uh, I don't want to recap too much, but Abraham's just recently separated from his nephew Lot. Uh, they've had some ups and downs, some disagreements, and so Abraham is, is kind of now stepping into this next season or story of his life. And, and I'm going to read 14. There's a lot of names and places, and I'll give you a, a kind of a synopsis of it when, I, when we get through it. Uh, it's a lot to keep up with, but Genesis 14 goes like this. At the time when Aphra was the king of Shinar, Ariok king of Eleazar, Shadalamra king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Birsha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, Shemember king, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddim. That's the Dead Sea. Actually, you can throw the map up, Alex. I think we have a, a map. You can at least kind of get a visual of the Dead Sea in there. That's the valley of Siddim, that lower, that blue part of the water. That's the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And the valley of Siddim's kind of around, around that. And so these, these, all these, these tribes, these cities, this is, they, they joined forces. And for 12 years, they've been su- subject to Chadalamar. And the 13th year, they rebelled. So what's happening in this time of history? There isn't sort of one big empire in this area. There's all these different cities, and they kind of all have their own kings. And they kind of have their own territories. And it's, it's very tribal. It's a very tribal sort of form of, of governance. And this one king, Chadalamar, he seems to be doing very well. He's sort of the, kind of the, you know, the... the, the the BA, the bad guy of, the, of these other tribes. And he has these other, other cities paying tribute to him. So if you were like the boss king, you can get all the little kings to pay tribute to you. It's like taxes. So he was just sort of running this very kind of Mad Max feeling, desert warfare, kind of wild scene. And Shadalamar is sort of ruling over all these other cities, these other kings. And then said in the 13th year, so they've been doing this for 12 years, subject to this oppression from this king. These other tribes, they rebel. So in the 13th year, they rebelled. So in the 14th year, Chadalamar and the kings allied with him went out and defeated uh, Raphaelites of, of Karanam, the Zuites of Ham, the Emites of uh, Krithiam, the Horites of the hill country as far as Elpan near the near desert. So he gets this rebellion popping up. So Chadalamar, this, this one king, he gathers some of his buddies because he has some guys who are closer to them, and they go out and sort of want to squash this, this uprising. And they turned back, and they said they turned back to, to Mishpat, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amicalites as well as the Amorites who were living in, in Tamar. So 
he squashes the uprising, this, this Chattelamar, and then he starts to take over more lands. Like, well, we're out here anyway. Let's just start dominating everybody. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim. So that's sort of around that Dead Sea area against Chattelamar, king of Elam. So there's a few other cities, a few other kings. Like, we got we to gotta make a stand because this guy is just taking over everything. So they draw up battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Chattelamar. Against Tidal, king of Gorham, Aphrael, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elazar. So four kings against five. So these, these, this big sort of tribal warfare is about to go down. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of, the men fe- some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So it kind of gets back into the story. So there's all these names and places, and it's crazy. But that's sort of the scene. That's, a, that's what's happening even in Abraham's sort of world world. There's these very wild, violent, tribal king things happening. And so that plays into Abraham's perspective. When God said, I'm going to give you all this land. And even when Israel's coming out of Egypt, hey, you're going to get all this land. Like, there's other people here, God. These other guys are here, and there's, some of them are pretty tough. So there's this other sort of domination, dominating force, this king of, of Shadalamer. And he sees all the kings. So the men take off. He, they, they run all the, the soldiers out of town. These guys are falling in tar pits. The, the cities are left with just kind of mostly the women and children and people who weren't fighting. And they take all that away. They take all the people. They take all their food. They take all their possessions. And they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So, so Lot, if we remember him from last, last week or last chapter, he had kind of made a conscious decision to begin moving out of the blessing of Abraham, who was sort of his elder, ultimately the blessing of God, to pursue his own story. He's sort of like, I, am, I, am gonna, I just want to be rich. I want, I want more land. I want more stuff. I want to give in to that. And he moves away from, from Abraham and God's promises to pursue, to pursue his own thing. And then we find out here very soon after, he, he actually becomes enslaved now. So he thought he was going off to kind of start this new life. Now he's lost everything. He's lost all his possessions. He's lost, he, he's, he's lost his family. His city's been taken away. And he's sort of left, he's left in captivity as he moved away from God because his pursuit, his pursuit led him into basically into slavery. And I was thinking about that sort of in our own lives. The things that we go after, the things that we pursue, they have a tendency to enslave us. They will, they, will, they will capture us. Those things that you are pursuing, and for, for Lot, it was land and wealth and stature. He ended up getting caught up in that, and he actually ended up in physical slavery to these other kings. But for you and I, those things, if we think about it, those things that we're chasing after, whether that's relationship or money or, or job or things, we become, we become enslaved to those things. We become enslaved to those things. Now, that could also be a good thing. Uh, New Testament-wise, a lot of our writers talk about being bond servants or slaves to Christ. So there's something about being a servant to God or a servant, servant to, to Christ, as Abraham was. Right? He wasn't sort of living on his own free will anymore. He's like, all right, I'm going to go with the God story. Or Lot's like, I'm going to do my own story. And he sort of got caught up by those things. I mean, you know when something's on your mind, you're after something passionately enough, you get your eye on the shiny prize or whatever that is, it begins to occupy a lot of your mental energy, your physical energy, your time, like your, your, your relational stuff. Whether that's, you know, whatever that is for you, fill in the blank. What is that pursuit that you're after? It's not the God story, because you, you, I think many of us know we have kind of a God story in our life, but there's these other things that start to suck us away, and we actually become entangled and enslaved to those things in our pursuit. I know for me, like fantasy football season, forget about it. 
I'm done. Like, it just gets me. Like, I'm sucked into my wife. My wife hates football season because of that. Like, Amber's shaking her head like, oh, gosh, i got to set my line up and what's going on. I'm, you, you know, and that's kind of a, a, a benign thing. But you, you know these little things that get in your mind or your life, and you start pursuing them. You can't even, you can't even really stop. You can't even stop yourself. And, and, and before you know it, you're so far gone into your own sort of land or territory, you forgot even what God's story maybe was for you because you're kind of focused on this new thing. So Lot finds himself in, in captivity. A man who escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the, the great tree of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anor, all who were allied with Abram. So Abram, he's making friends. He's, he's kind of back in that same area we've talked about in the past. He's sort of back where he started from. He's kind of hanging out. Uh, he's waiting for, for God's sort of next call to him, but he's, he's being productive. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out, the 318 trained men born of his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods, brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. So Lot, you can go back to that, that map, Alex. Abram, that this green line is sort of the military route from these kings. So they, these kings, they were coming down this, this green path, and they were just dominating everybody. And they get kind of where it loops back around to the Dead Sea, and they took over more people there. There was kind of that stand from those other kings. And this is where, where Abram, he starts to go out. And he's like, this is not cool what you're doing. You're getting, he's also like, you're getting a little too, too close to my land now. And I, want my, and I want my nephew back. And he drives these guys out there with just his 318 18 men. And he chases them all the way kind of back up to where they came from. Dan, you can't really see it, but Dan's at the top of the map there. He chases them all the way back up there. And he, and he clears the land of Shadalamer and all his sort of wild, you know, Mad Max kind of, kind of bandits. He recovered all the goods, brought back his relative and not. After Abram returned from defeating Shadalamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. That's the king's valley. So the king of Sodom, he, he was one of the places that was conquered. He's coming out because he's like, man, I've got to meet this guy who, who, who's, who's got all my stuff now. Because Abram's now recovered all the stuff that these guys had stolen. Then Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God the Most High and blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So these two kind of kings come out, this priest, this king of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek's a whole other story, but he's a really interesting, really interesting character in the Bible. And the Hebrews writers talk about him in, in kind of a um, sort of otherworldly kind of way, a very spiritual, supernatural way, Melchizedek. But he was this king of peace, and he was a man of God. And what's interesting here when I think about this, we'll just, we'll just leave it with this today for him, is that he was pursuing God, and he was a man of God. He was a priest of God sort of outside any of the other narrative of, of Genesis. We don't know what that looked like. We know that Abraham was called to start this kind of new tribe, this, this Israel. But we don't know what God's activity has been beyond that. But apparently God's at work. He's got people worshiping him and following him even outside this Abraham, Abraham story. So Melchizedek, coming out of you know, Noah and, and these other descendants, he's like, man, he's worshiping God. He knows the true God. Abraham has tremendous respect for this guy. And he, le he leaves him a gift. He gives him a, a tent. And he says, praise be to God. He blesses Abraham. So the Lord delivered you. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Sodom's like, thank you so much. 
I got this now. You know what? Keep everything. Just give me my people back and we'll rebuild our city. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, now this is kind of before Sodom took a really dark turn. It's been trending that way, uh, but this is sort of before they've gotten really dark. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, with raised hands I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anor, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So Abraham in this moment, there's just a uh, kind of a, a strong sense of maturity coming in to, this, to the character of Abraham after this incident. First of all, one of the things we can understand uh, or, or maybe don't understand. Like, how did he even get these guys with his 318 men? How did he rescue? How did he fight back this, this other army, right? And he has God on his side. And Melchizedek affirms that. He says, God has got your back. But he stepped out in faith and encouraged to rescue his relative. He didn't really have any other interest in the game. He wasn't going after possessions. He didn't want land. He, but he steps up. He has some courage. And he steps, he goes in after someone who's in trouble. And there's something kind of really beautiful about that, I think, in the person of Abraham after some of his sort of ups and downs, and he'll have some of those again. It's like, you know what? Lot left me and deserted me, gave me like kind of the second choice on land, but I got to go get him. And he takes his men. And Abraham's smart. He, has, he breaks up his men. He's strategic. And I think what we can learn when we watch these bits of the story, because Abraham has some time before the promises come down, he seems to be being very productive in his waiting. He's, he's, he's thinking, he's, he's working his land, he's, being, uh, he's developing, he's preparing. It's like, if God is going to give me this land, I'm going to prepare the best I can for that. And some of that is having guys ready. Some of that's training up men to be ready. And so when something hits the fan in sort of this life, he goes out and goes. And then, then Sodom, this guy wants to give him all this stuff. So I will accept nothing. He says, I don't want that. I don't want that stuff. I don't want anyone to even say it. I don't want there to be any rumors I have anything besides what God's given me. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of integrity and in his story because he's, he's buying more and more into his, his story that God's given him. It's, I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to be aligned with you. I don't want to be friends with you. I don't want to join forces with you. I'm not interested in what you guys are doing in all your fights. I don't want to be part of it. I'm, I'm in the God story. And he kind of has his blinders on to that. Because this would have been a great opportunity. Oh, we should form an alliance. We could be pals and I will join your team. We could fight up further. And he's like, no. Take everything, go on your way. And the very end, and this is cool, we touched on this last week. He said, I'll accept nothing but what my men have eaten. So we were, we've already eaten, we're not giving that back. And the share that belongs to my men who went with me. So he had these other kind of alliances with him, Honor, Eshkol, and Mamre. He said, let them have their share. And, and he doesn't project on these other guys, they should turn down all the possessions and all, all their share. He doesn't project sort of the, his, his sort of own God story on these other kind of allies of his. Hey, give those guys what they want. They, they rescued your town. Let them have possessions. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I, and I think that, and we've looked at this for a couple of times, when we, we need to, when we recognize our own God's story, it's a beautiful thing. It's very liberating. And we don't have to always project that story on everybody else. Abraham's call was very specific to him. His arrangement with God, his, his covenant agreement with God was very specific he said, I'm not touching that stuff, but hey, if you guys want it, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with these other men taking these possessions. So Abraham sort of begins, to, and he's also kind of growing in his own sort of statue in this, this, this area with these other men. And so as we kind of process some of this stuff out today, and we're going to close with a song, 
I think there's a couple things that are, that are just worth remembering. One, that our God, our, our, our covenant God, and into this sort of New Testament beautiful story of Jesus, he is this big sign. I am going to love you and take care of you, period. Not if you can help me. I, I want to love you. I want to love on this world. I want people to be my family. I want them to feel safe. And this story, this covenant begins that way. The, the previous covenant from Noah was like, I don't, I'm not going to destroy the world again. I'm not going to destroy the world. I want to bless the world. I want there to be good things for you. And God's story is powerful. And we can sort of interrupt it, and we can make, maybe go along different ways, but trust God's story for your life. It's a better story than the one you can come up with. And those things that sort of Lot and others pursue, man, that, that just ensnare us and entangle us, they keep us from a better story. And I just want to pray that we have eyes and ears to hear and find those things sort of try to let them go. And you kind of know what those things are in your life, maybe whatever your sort of addiction is, or maybe it's, you know, it's likes, or it's working out, or it's starting this new thing. Like, what are those things that are just occupying all your time? There's no, no room for a God story because you're trapped in your own. So God, we thank you for your, uh, the word. We thank you for the story of Abraham and just the honesty of it, God. Uh, Lord, I pray for just, this for all of us, Lord. We, we thank you that you are a God of blessing and of goodness and of grace. And that is not something we can repay and that's not something we can break. We thank you for that, God. And Lord, just those who are just struggling in their own story, God, pursuing the wrong things, going after this, into distant lands, leaving, leaving the blessing, leave, leaving your promises, God, pray you whisper and call them back to those. Call them back to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to n-e-u-e-c-h-u-r-c-h dot com. Again, that website address is n-e-u-e-c-h-u-r-c-h dot com. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and yours.